0: You're listening to Comedy Central.
1: That sound that you're hearing is me going through a table at the mercy of a 250 pound man's body slam. It didn't feel great. It felt worse than great. But I will say I was comforted by the fact that that very large amateur wrestler lying on top of me was a veteran who had served our country, and that my pain was nothing compared to what these other veterans have to wrestle with when they return home from serving our country. My bone-crushing moments of discovery and physical pain, or what the network calls great storytelling, are just some of what goes down when you're out on the road. That's what this podcast is about. It's a chance for me to tell you a little bit about the experiences I had out on the road. I bring in some producers, some writers, some people who also help make this show. If you've never seen the show, that's okay. You suck a bit, but you can still listen to this podcast. If you have seen it, well done. Today on the podcast, we got an amazing conversation with Sebastian Younger, seasoned war correspondent and author of the book, Tribe. But first, we want to take you further into the story of the Valhalla Club and how they are wrestling their PTSD demons. This is Clapper. There are 22 million veterans living in America. And right now, a lot of them are struggling. They're battling post-traumatic stress, or PTSD. And sadly, almost 20 vets are taking their lives every day because of it, 20. Clearly, we aren't serving our vets as well as they serve us. So I'm heading down to Killeen, Texas, right outside of Fort Hood to meet a group of Iraq vets who suffer from PTSD. They've found relief from their trauma through a unique form of therapy, professional wrestling. This is too so dangerous, you guys. How about a book club?
2: This is safer than war.
1: That is fair. That I will give you that. This is Erica Mattson. She's a field producer on the show. Hey, Hi, Erica. Jordan. Hi. How you doing? The best. Right? The best. Yes. We're excited to talk about this episode. And unfortunately, I have to introduce writer Steve Already. Maltine. Already. <sighs> I just looked right into the camera? No, it's a podcast. You don't have to look at the camera.
3: Good evening, Jordan. <laughs> no. <laughs> Steve, I know that there's four cameras. I'm hearing you great.
1: No, it's a podcast. Steve, you look at me. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay? Okay. We, we pretend like this is a natural conversation that yeah. we have. All right, this is for the listeners at home. Steve, don't look at the camera. No, sorry. Pretend like this is, that the cameras aren't even here. Like pretend it's, like
3: it's a podcast. Pretend like okay. it's a
1: podcast. Gotcha. <laughs> How, do, how did we find this story? Do
4: um, you remember? Yeah, I, yes, uh, I do remember. I was working at Vice, and sometimes I would uh, lean towards veteran stories, military stories. So It was sort of on my radar. And also,
1: I, came... I want to paint the picture, yes. not to interrupt you. No, please. But you said you worked at Vice, and we'd love to make fun of you for it. Yes. We love Vice. You'll love it. But you are... Earnestly wearing a marijuana leaf necklace and a really cool leather jacket.
3: <laughs> everything is cool. Where do you get all those Look cool the things? Cool thing. oh, they're, they're cool. They hand them out at the door. advice. Yeah, you come true. in and you're like, mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
4: Yeah, they give it to you, and then when you leave, you have to like ceremoniously take off everything. Get a but tattoo. To get a tattoo.
3: Yeah, remove. tattoo
1: removal. Here, leave yeah. these rings. Leave the official vice bong. You can leave that here. Just rolling papers. Oh, it's just vice
3: rolling papers. Mm-hmm. That's that's, cool. that's not a bit, right? Nope. <laughs> No, they don't want to cool that smoke. No. No, They (laughs) They want it it hot. (laughs) That's very real. They want your lungs to burn.
4: (laughs) (laughs) No, I came across this story um, in a Rolling Stone article, and it was about... Uh, really more of a profile on Eddie. Uh, Eddie is one of our characters in the show who you will recognize him. He's the guy that wears a lot of clown makeup. Um, and they were doing a profile on him and his approach to dealing with PTSD. And the article it unpacked that he's part of this Valhalla club, which is the, the three-man wrestling team that we end up following. And what jumped out at me, not just because it was a story of PTSD and, and veterans, was that and how the writer was able to describe the community that showed up to watch Eddie and the rest of the Valhalla club and how they reacted to that. Because to me, I'm like, okay, I can understand maybe how it helps an individual person who's participating in the wrestling because you're doing an action. But I found it really interesting that the community was getting something out of it by having a performance and a, and a, and a reason to go out and, and gather again when the last time a group of vets get, you know, usually get together can be sort of a sad thing. It can be like, um, usually reunions in veteran communities sometimes revolve around, you know, if you're uh, someone to suicide or something like that, like the, the the homecomings aren't always so happy when they get back together. So here you had this wrestling medium that's like fun and engaging. and has nothing to do with war, but it brought together this community that ne- I think needs to see each other on more of a face-to-face basis because they just they just don't once they come home.
1: Personally, I know it's sometimes hard for a civilian to feel like they can relate to yeah. veterans. And we often talk about like this idea of thank you for your service feels like an empty gesture. And so... I feel like a lot of people sometimes are like, I'm grateful I put you on a pedestal, but I don't know how to interact with you. And I think we had like a visceral feeling, even in the room, of like, oh, I get this. Like, I hate to say it, but like, I did theater. I did performance. I get what somebody can get out of this, how it can be therapeutic, how it can be also just fun and a way to build a community. And then we see these pictures, start hearing about these these veterans who are also living experiences through this type of performance in a way that we're like, oh, I think this might be a way in which we can also t- tell their story and chart sort of the story of how somebody who hasn't served, who is not a veteran, can find a connection point and dispel some of those, um, those assumptions you might have about uh, veterans and the way in which they interact and kind of meet in this funny middle ground, which happens to be a, a ring where everybody wears makeup. Mr. Stud Tacular. Yeah. Is that a family name?
2: (laughs) No, that's just, it's all character, that's all gimmick. I wanted to be something I know I'm not, instead of just a soldier that I was, diving from rockets, crap like that.
1: You've almost had to rewrite your story, and in that, that becomes therapeutic?
2: Definitely. Yeah, We all have things that, that trigger us and stuff like that, but we still go out there and we try. I don't have time to deal with all of the stuff that bothers me on a day-to-day basis, the survivor's guilt, the, other, the, 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 the anniversaries of my friends dying. The whole transformation of the character is getting away from those demons. The only other demon you have is yourself.
1: You're wrestling yourself up there. Yeah. It happened to me once. My mom walked in on me in the bathroom when I was wrestling myself. <laughs> Rule number one of wrestling yourself, lock the bathroom door.
4: It's such a wild scene. It was like, <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. what were you expecting when we went down?
1: I'm not a big wrestling fan. I didn't grow up really the, uh, as a, a World Wrestling Federation kind of guy. I went to one event a few years ago and thought it was wild and fun. But when we walked in, <laughs> you guys purposely kept me from meeting them before the cameras started rolling, I remember. Uh, I'm out in the car, and uh, Eric and Steve are down there in Texas, kind of setting up their practice uh, facility. They're practicing and they're like, oh, well, let's make sure the lighting's all good. So we walk out in. But Jordan, you wait out in the car. Um, and Steve comes out just killing time. And <laughs> I, I, Steve, I, your moment was something that you're like, they're really wrestling in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
3: that's right. I was like, like, oh, it's awfully real in there. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I go and I walk in and you immediately feel that. Like, we knew that these guys weren't on television, but that they're legitimate wrestlers. I didn't know what a wrestling circuit in Texas felt like. You walk in immediately and see them diving on one another, flipping, attacking, and it's fucking real.
3: You go in and you're like, you don't know what to expect. Is this like, what is this going to look like? And it just looked so, I mean, the athleticism, which is apparent when you watch it, their their level of skill, their um, storytelling ability within this. I mean, and certainly with our background you know, in, in improv and in sort of like having a host of techniques that are available to you. It's a common language that you all know. But then, within the moment, being able to weave around that and take what the person's giving you and expand on it—it was—it felt very close to home.
1: Here's something I remember from uh, that first meeting we had with them, and it's—it's it's not in the edit of the final piece anymore. But we did this fun training, and they're really gregarious, fun guys. But I'm nervous, and I don't want to get hurt. But I also don't quite know how to interact. Uh, as a wrestler or do this, right? And so they teach me how to chop. They teach me how to fall. They teach me how to hit. We do some calisthenics. And then they pull out this wooden stick. And it's like, there's a way in which you can hit somebody and I'll react to it. But you really hit them with this big wooden stick. And Eddie assures me it'll be OK to hit as hard as I can. And I do it. And he immediately falls. Everybody reacts in that wrestling kind of way. But he sticks to it. He sticks to it. And I'm like, ah, ha ha, ha And he turns. And he's bleeding. And I call bullshit. He comes over, he is really bleeding. I call bullshit. He is really bleeding. They stick with it. They stick with it. I'm like, yeah, this is very funny, but I'm not gonna fall for your bad acting. I know bad acting. I do bad acting. This is bad acting. Safe word is Oklahoma. Oklahoma.
2: Oh. You, all right? you hit him in the head. Bro! The oh.
1: Really? Jordan? Okay. As someone who is a theater major, I understand a little bit about fake blood. Is it like and fake combat? Blood? That's a cut on this.
2: Oh, God. Jordan, you're so violent, man. Yeah.
1: I'm this new guy, and they're trying to razz me. And this, this is the theatrics of it. That is a cut. That is a cut. It's
2: a kendo stick. Right? I didn't get I hit
1: you here. I hit you here. No, you totally it, missed. Kind of, Do you have a, uh, one of the bigger Band-Aids?
2: It's so rough.
1: I'm not saying you're mad. I'm saying you're trying to put me in a position where I need to feel bad for this, why just would, because you're why hurt. I does feel bad? You asked me to hit you with a stick.
2: Right, why would you feel He's bad? got a very hittable face. It's okay, I'm not mad, I promise.
1: No, I just wish you would stop doing this bit because I'm starting to feel
2: bad about it. We were messing with you? Yeah, was that real blood? Yeah, yeah. I really <laughs> took a razor blade blood. and dinged my head with it. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's not a joke, self-mutilation,
3: <laughs> <laughs> do you get it?
1: <laughs> they think it's hilarious. So, yeah. I mean, Eddie's the one who's bleeding and had a scar on his head for the next three days.
3: <laughs> yeah, you can see the scar on his head for the next three days. Yeah, but he the- cut himself. He, he has a razor blade in his hand, and he he cuts himself. Mm-hmm. And he was, like, talking about – we had a conference call where they told us that was that the, technique. And they were, and they that, were like, yeah. we could do that to mm-hmm. Jordan, and we could make him. And they were so proud of it. But it is. It's like, who is this joke really on? <laughs> you cut yourself. And they're like, it's easy. You can do it with a razor blade and then blood comes. <laughs> like This isn't a magic trick. You cut yourself. Yeah. <laughs> S-
4: they can teach us something about storytelling. You just do it for real. They
1: really can. <laughs> they put me through a little bit of training that was so violent. <laughs> and they took care of me. Let it be clear. The slaps are real. The falls are real. <laughs> it all hurt is what I quickly
2: realized. One of the things with pro wrestlers is chops. It's just yep. open hand slap. Ah! <laughs> that does work. It hurts! Oh. It does! It hurts! It's just a chop. I don't care what you call it, it <laughs> hurts! It, it's a well, thing well, where I well, call well,
3: the well, police. It's, 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 it's an assault! Well, it's fine. If, if you've known Jordan for a really long time, you know the range of noises that he makes and his four acting moves. And so... And <laughs> my, my, eight, my one accent. <laughs> yeah. And so, <laughs> when you hear him really get hurt, you know he really got hurt. <laughs> like yeah uh, I'm like oh that's a, that's a noise I haven't heard yeah. <laughs> he's not having fun There's comedic high pitch and there's earnest high <laughs> Yeah, pitch. yeah. That, that's the yeah. truth that was real <laughs> That was that's that's earnest high pitch yeah. Yes mm-hmm. it is Just because you know that it's coming and how it's coming doesn't mean it doesn't hurt Yeah That's I think that it's like they they sort of break it down and they're like we're going to do chest slaps right and so it's this is how it works we're going to be slapping your chest and this is how the hand is going to look but it's still slapping your chest <laughs> like it still hurts
1: yeah there's almost assumption like oh so that yeah. means you're going to fake doing that and right the same thing was the way they're like oh we're gonna teach you how to do a fall and yeah I'm like they taught me how to do a fall and my assumption was that the floor was really forgiving and that it was almost like falling into like a bed of balloons okay it's so fast i don't want to do it that fast is there a slow version you can take your time control your body
2: yeah, that's oh, exactly good. I was, <laughs> close. I was close. that was close. Still reaching.
1: I'm a not bit. exhaling. That does not feel that that good. <laughs> but no, it's just a, a, a made of wood, very hard floor that I kept falling and knocking the wind out of me. It it hurt significantly. And they're like, "Well, you're not falling, right?" I'm like, "There's, you can walk me through the technique, but you're still falling at an aggressive rate." I'm also very tall, and so just velocity-wise, I'm hitting that ground, boom, boom, and it hurts. And in the end, they're kind of like, you just got to get used to it.
4: Yeah. I got used to watching you fall very quickly. You did, you and seemed to really take we had to, like, to it. A lot of takes, because like, the camera kept moving, and so we had to you know, obviously do it over and over again. It was really fun in the edit, at that part, just to just replay you falling over and over again. It's, it was cathartic, the whole staff got together
1: and watched. Is that what happens? <sighs> yes, I, I can see it, yes.
4: Yeah. <laughs> we just all took our, our favorite punched moments from Jordan just There's plenty, it plenty to yeah. choose
1: from. We were immediately taken by what we were watching. And to make it about me and or us and our experience of like connecting with veterans to walk in there and not have to think about um, saying something incorrect, not knowing their experience overseas and immediately be in awe of their expertise and and wanna be a part of the thing that they're creating. There was a legitimate bond that we all formed. We were talking even before we started uh, taping here about how uh, you're still getting emails from the guys regularly. I, I am as well and I think like you bonded. And Erica, you've you've done stories at Vice, yes, uh, about the military, yes. What what was it about this? What what did you? What was new for you on this?
4: Um, Yeah. So when I uh, covered stories about the military um, at Vice, it was a lot of veteran-based stories. um, And what always draws me towards veterans is that it is so much about this community, and that the community of veterans helping each other is ultimately who they rely on when they come back home. Um, Also, this I just really like exploring. The, the subject of masculinity and expression when it comes to this very like hyper masculine group of people so for me like the wrestling thing was so interesting because it really teeters on this like expression of masculinity in tiny little shorts but what they're dealing with is like emotion and trauma and how men and, in particular I mean of course we have female combat veterans etc but uh, the majority of the military being men they aren't gonna go to traditional therapy I mean some will but here's another option for these guys who express themselves and just reading Eddie in that article talking about that struggle to connect with people is ultimately what the darkness kind of leads when you come home is just not feeling like you can pick up the phone and call anyone or or turn to your wife or husband or whoever at the bar and just talk because you feel like you have such uh, dark things to say and that people don't want to hear it and you don't want to live in darkness all the time. So having Something like wrestling is, like, light to to go to, but you're still dealing with – this isn't going to say you suddenly get over the tough stuff that, you know, actually happened to you. This is just saying that you can celebrate and be fun and also have a different kind of, like, escape that isn't always, like, rooted in such, like, sadness with PTSD. Not to say it's not sad, but –
1: Well, and Eddie talked a lot about that, and I think we got to see it. Uh, I I think that was remarkable about our time with them is that these guys really wore their hearts on their sleeves and kind of gave us access to their families, their emotions. Uh, Jan welcomed us over to his house for breakfast one morning. Uh, I had breakfast with his daughter.
3: I mean, he was there too. Don't make it sound like he set it up so you'd have breakfast with his daughter. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, let me be clear. That would be weird. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jan and Come his daughter. Come to my daughter. house. Have breakfast <laughs> with
1: my daughter. <laughs> they were very open. They were very yes. accommodating. <laughs> I had breakfast with Jan and Jan's daughter. Together. Together. The three of us yes. had breakfast. <laughs> bacon was made. I put the blame on Jan for poor bacon making. <laughs> Is this how you cook bacon in Texas? You, you kill it twice? Who was on bacon duty?
3: Yeah. She was.
1: What was it like
2: coming home? It was very difficult, and I was very uh, standoffish um, and uh, had anger issues and stuff like that. And I was just overwhelmed, and I wasn't processing stuff as I should. My dad, he just looked really out of it. And he seemed like, he just seemed kind of spaced and everything. And he looked, like, devastated.
1: What, what don't civilians get about the transition that vets have been from overseas coming back home.
2: There isn't like a single right answer. So I can try to tell somebody what it was like to have a car bomb go off not too far from you. If you haven't been through a similar thing, it's really hard to fully grasp like why that changes somebody on mm-hmm. a permanent level.
1: And he, we went, we literally would go out into his garage where he, um, he one has a, a letterpress machine where he makes T-shirts. Valhalla t-shirts there that you can buy online and should. And he also has um, some paraphernalia and things that he brought back from war. And he has pictures of uh, an explosion of a truck that was, I believe, 100 yards away from him. And he talks about like experiencing these things and coming back and not having anybody you can connect with there. It is a process. We talked to Eddie. We We went to a stand-up show with Eddie, who not only is he He's incredible at martial arts. He's incredible at wrestling. Uh, he's, he also loves the thrill of stand-up comedy. And so we went to an open mic night with Eddie and then went and got drinks afterwards. And he's very open about, like, this is a consistent struggle that he's dealing with day in and day out. And he, he talks about, um, like, it, it's, it's, it's not about fixing this. It's about moving in the right direction. It is hard trying to find humor
2: in stories about PTSD. How do you deal with something like that? You put it in the fuck it box, and you deal with it when you can. That's it. For me, my PTSD came mostly from survivor Guild. All my friends died where I couldn't save them. I was a combat medic, and my job was to save people and make sure that my friends came home in one piece. Your your job isn't to save everybody. Your job is to save the people you care about, right? Your job is to save the people you can save. Rationally, that makes sense. However, PTSD is no respecter of rationality or whatever. Think about all the bad shit that happened to you in your life as jumping into a 20-foot pool when you can't swim, sinking all the way to the bottom and standing there, counting to 25 and swimming back to the top. Because why? If you calm down and you relax, you will get back to the top and you will continue on what you have to do. Where are you in that pool? Are you swimming up? I'm trying. I'm trying. Right now? I'm wondering where the fucking other Jack and Coke is at. <laughs> well, that's something we can fix.
1: I see the moment at the bar with him, and he's, he carries a lot with him. He is somebody who, he was a, a combat medic, and he talks about this desire to save everybody, um, and that that never leaves him, that it, it's, it's always with him, and he, he thinks about it, he, he wears it today. And so that's a lot for anybody who's just going into a stand-up comedy club, which that's something I can relate to. But when I walked into stand-up comedy clubs or improv theaters, I'm not bringing that baggage as well. And when he does that, he brings that baggage in there, and he doesn't have anybody else who has that ex- shared experience to be able to take a little bit of that load off. And he's open about that. He's not bitter about it, uh, but he's struggling with it. And I think that's where... When we had those experiences and then were able to see when they performed with an audience who loved them, who were also vets, who came there because they knew they were experiencing something, like you could see this catharsis and you could see like what felt like, if not progress towards betterment, at least like a respite from some of that pain.
4: They also went back to something that they did before they entered the service. So wrestling, they did grow up and it was something to them. They left... Uh, went to the military, and then when they came back and all three of them, when they were struggling, they thought, okay, this was something that I liked before, I'll try it again. And it just, it transformed uh, the meaning because of what they experienced. So I think also it's for people to recognize that maybe something that you use as an escapism before can be used again in a different way.
3: You know, these these are guys who went and they have traditional routes of addressing these things. They can go and they can get medicated, which as we say, like works for people, and that's yeah. great. It's a miracle that these medications are out there and that make a difference, right? They don't work for everybody. So you can be struggling with this trauma, the medication doesn't work, and then you try talk therapy, and that works for a lot of people, and that's fantastic and so glad that it's there. But it doesn't work for everybody, and it's like these are three guys who are like, I'm not giving up. I'm going to try another weird outside-the-box thing that is going to hopefully lift this cloud for me, and it does. So my question
1: is, if this is our takeaway from it, then why was there a portion where I had to put on a skimpy outfit, put my life on the line, and get body slammed by a sweaty man? Because that's
3: how I get over my trauma,
1: <laughs> right? It's, by yeah. giving by me trauma? torturing you. you. So I remember, I think we walked out knowing I wanted to get in the ring and to do something. Uh the fun part again, I talked with them a little bit about it. It's like this is performative. This is you play you play a bad guy, you play a heel. They often talked about Eddie would talk about what it was like to play a heel and how he loved an audience chanting at him, being angry with him. I talked to him about I was on the opposition as a host, who was an asshole, who was a heel, and 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 people thought you were saying terrible things, and that was part of the joy, and I think like that was really fun. If we could find a way, I, where I could be a heel, what became the uh, challenge that we had is how do we how do we give that heel what what is the thing these guys are fighting against, and so that was sort of the creation as we went out there, we we decided it was this Mister Red Tape Man um, that if they if they could find catharsis in body slamming one evil. The, the bad guy isn't necessarily the VA. There's problems with the VA. The bad guy isn't pills. Pills don't work for everybody. They do work for some. Like, it's more complicated than that. But the problem that we can attack is the fact that there's shit that's getting in the way from these guys getting attention and help. And it felt like red tape was symbolic in that sense. And so that we went on the road and knew I was going to put on what I thought were shorts and then get into a ring and be body slammed, only to find out that day that I would be wearing uh, skin-tight skivvies uh, that were more revealing than I I would want them to be. Meet Valhalla Club's arch nemesis. You love me, you love me. The man who loves long wait lines, bad doctors, and not helping vets. It's
2: Mr. Red Tape. That's Mr. Red Tape! You vets, you have paperwork to do. I think what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take this paperwork and shove it down your throat. Okay, no, you're not gonna do that.
1: No, no. We start the episode kind of asking the question, how do you connect with veterans? And we throw out this idea of thank you for your service feels empty. And I think Eddie Yan and Bryson spoke to that. I don't think they disregard somebody making the gesture or saying, thank you for your service, and people might be very earnest in, uh, uh, in saying something like that. I-, I know I am when I do, uh, but it felt like the thing they wanted next or uh, responded most to was like more of a personal connection, which honestly, you can take away this, the Speedos, you can take away the costumes, you can take away the, um, the uniform, and all this stuff does boil down to like, yeah have a beer with that person, connect with them, see see if they're hurting and how you can you can help in, in some kind of way.
4: Well, when you look at hard facts on paper, you have 22 vets who take their lives every day. PTSD is a real thing. We have 18.5 million veterans living in America. And yet the The disparity is that civilians and veterans just don't interact that often. But these are real issues. And that's really, those are sad stats on paper. And if you have this interesting medium with the show and you can use comedy and write into it and have tools that can help tell that story in a digestible way, I mean, I think that that's one of the biggest takeaways from this kind of show, but with this shoot in general, it is. And you know what's great about this uh, particular show? No politics about something that can be a very politicized thing when it comes to the military. Like this is just about humans and how do we connect and how do we get over trauma?
3: And by the way, those guys, which I found fascinating, like everything is so politically polarized, especially coming off that show that we worked on before, The Opposition and, and just the atmosphere. Those guys won't go there, which I think is so fascinating, right, because like I, I feel like, I mean, I, I'm the kind of person who's like, yeah, but which way do you lean? Come on, like, you know, in Texas and everything. And they're just, they're kind of apolitical in a, I mean, sure they have whatever they do when they go into the voting booth, but they, this story is not seen through that lens at all, which is so refreshing.
1: Awesome. Well, guys, uh, thank you for uh, taking that little trip down memory lane. Here to expand the conversation around Valhalla Club and to talk some veterans' issues, Sebastian Younger. I'm very excited. He's the author of Tribe, which is available wherever books are sold. He's also an Academy Award-nominated documentarian and seasoned war correspondent. Thanks for coming
0: in. My pleasure. Documentarian is that is that how you'd like to be called? Co-director. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was for the film Restrepo. It was a documentary about a platoon of American soldiers at an outpost in eastern Afghanistan. And so my colleague Tim Hetherington and I uh, shot all the video. We were out there together off and on for a year. Uh, and we, direct, we co-directed it, co-produced it, we, and, and co-financed it. We did absolutely everything. I want to talk
1: about uh, veterans who serve. And you, you make a point that, like, you've covered a lot of military stories, that when people come back home, sometimes what is toxic is what they are re-entering, right? Re-entering a country that either they don't recognize because of the way in which it's vilifying one another. And the trauma that some of these people who have served for our country are facing is the trauma uh, that coming back to a country that maybe doesn't live up
0: to those ideals. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a whole sort of witch's brew of things. I think on the non-political level, uh, in the military, whether you're in a support unit or, or not, and keep in mind, only about 10% of the military is actually engaged in any combat, right? But 90% are support mostly. But it doesn't matter. Combat intensifies things, but even in a support unit, you're in a platoon of 30 people, 40 people maybe. You're sleeping, you're probably sleeping shoulder to shoulder with 30 people, taking meals together, doing tasks and missions together. It's an extremely cohesive unit. That's how we evolved as a species, right? I mean, anthropologists will tell you that for most of human history, we lived in groups of about that size, of about 50 people. We are wired to connect and affiliate and dedicate ourselves to groups of about that size. And then you come back to modern America, which because of our affluence, um, most people live in, in, in single-family homes or in, in, in single-family apartments, right? I mean, they're, which is great, right? There's a privacy, there's a liberty in that, but there's also a separation from your community. A lot of people grew up, like I grew up, not even really knowing their neighbors, it's certainly not depending on them. That's, that's new in human history. Now, this is a society that has astronomical levels of suicide, depression, anxiety, um, all these disorders of disconnection, right? There's a tragically high veteran suicide rate here. The, the soldier suicide rate in combat's not particularly high, it's quite low, right? It's when people come back when they leave combat and they leave the support of their unit, that suddenly they're, they're at a loss. And I think that, um, that alienation affects veterans, and I think it affects all of us. And then on top of that, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, as a veteran, you basically come back and hear your parents fighting in the bedroom. And you hear the top, top people in this country, very powerful people, basically screaming at each other and insulting each other. Um, I, you know, I never saw that behavior out of Restrepo. I mean, there was Democrats and Republicans, black, white, rich, poor, you know, whatever. It was everything out there. Not everybody loved each other, but no one treated each other with that kind of contempt and, and, and lack of respect. And I think that must be, I imagine for some of those people, it's quite hard to come home, to.
1: We we found some, some veterans who were in Texas who were dealing with PTSD. They'd come back, they're having a really hard time connecting with their families, feeling very alienated. And what they found
0: as a way to work through it was they found companionship in uh, professional wrestling. I think that's a healthy and natural instinct. Um the Hells Angels started that way. I mean they're World War II vets. Mm-hmm. They came back and they're alienated and, and they started a motorcycle, you know wound up being a criminal motorcycle gang, but that I think the criminality is probably part of the appeal. Like, wow, we're back on the front line, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and they're completely loyal to each other, which feels familiar and good and reassuring. But here's the thing, that's a stopgap measure, right? That will get you through the crisis of returning. But ultimately, the problem is all of us are struggling. It's not just veterans, everyone's struggling to feel like they're a part of the society. If they weren't, the suicide rate wouldn't be so damn high. The depression rate, anxiety rate wouldn't be so damn high. The addiction rate. I mean, everything's through the roof, right? So obviously, everyone's struggling. I was on an interview once and someone said, God, why are the vets so messed up? When soldiers come back, why are they so messed up? And I was like, wait a minute. I mean, this is where the light bulb went on for me about Tribe. I was literally in this interview. I was like, wait a minute. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're coming back healthy and they're seeing how messed up we are. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's what PTSD is. Um, And the more I thought about it, the more it seemed like it kind of worked that way. And that my book, Tribe, is about that investigation to see if that maybe is a way of thinking about it. it. When we're talking about tribes, what are we essentially talking about? Humans do not survive alone in nature. They die almost immediately. But we survive in a group. In fact, we thrive in groups. We're social primates, right? So if you don't feel closely connected to a group, you are in some sense in danger. So... One of the problems of modern society, of affluent society, is that people go through their whole lives not experiencing needing a group of people to get by. And on human terms, that that doesn't feel good. It feels alienating and depressing and scary. And so as a result, we know that as affluence goes up in a society, the suicide rate goes up, depression goes up, PTSD goes up. What about the people who've had serious trauma uh, overseas? Like... Of course. Yes. I mean, trauma Trauma messes people up. Uh, most people, it messes up temporarily and they get better. What's very hard to do is to recover from trauma in isolation. So you can traumatize a rat, right? And if you put that rat in a cage by itself, it never recovers. They traumatize rats by putting them in a cage with a cat and saving it before the cat kills the rat. You put that rat in a cage by itself, it doesn't recover. You put that rat in a cage with other rats. Within a week, its behavior is indistinguishable from the untraumatized rats. So which kind of rat do you think we are? I feel like we're a pretty traumatized rat. Yeah. Yeah. And we're obviously not- I've been called that before. Yeah, right. (laughs) And we're not healing, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, listen, recovery from trauma is a group process. Humans are traumatized in groups, right? And they recover in groups. In this society, people are traumatized in groups, in war, but they have to recover on their own. And that doesn't work very well.
1: Yeah, I feel like some of the, the vets that I've got to visit to, with, they have been galvanized by the trauma that they experienced. But the bonds that they find even with strangers as I travel along with them, what a little thing that I noticed, I forever have seen veterans wearing hats that say where they served, uh, what part of the military they were a part of, what ship they were on, or what have you. And to be honest, it was always kind of background noise to me. Right. I always noticed it. it was a hat. There's a sense of pride there. Yeah. I saw more than I would have normally expected. As I'm traveling with veterans, I became much more aware of that, and it was such a signifier to walk into a bar and to see a vet immediately be like, oh, uh, Marine, we have something in common. And the connections they made as strangers because they had not only a shared experience, but occasionally that shared trauma there, you saw community building happening so much faster than it would uh, in any other situation that i think those are those nice moments of hope that i could say
0: well those shared experiences are what make people make people feel that they belong in a group together i mean if you're in the same company with a guy you know you're brothers for life right and and the same platoon it's over i mean you got you know like that's a lifelong brotherhood you will never separate and and it's an incredibly profound thing and i got to say if you have the Good luck to experience that as a person in the military or otherwise, but that kind of connection, um, and it's taken away from you, you you live in a kind of grief over its loss for the rest of your life. It's really, really hard.
1: Okay, so that's, that's interesting. So we have, now I'm somebody, I'm a civilian, I, I never fought, I have weak bones. I can barely stand on my two feet. I broke my foot standing, so you wouldn't want me to protect, but I want to help. I think i talked a lot with the veterans that I've uh, met with about there's a disconnect between uh, civilians and vets who come home. I feel like I want to thank people for their service. I put people on pedestals and I don't interact with them. I, don't, I feel like I don't know the experiences they've been through, and therefore there's already Uh, a gap between the way in which I can connect with veterans sometimes. But I'm curious this idea. I think you're you're onto something with like, if we are looking to survive this trauma as a unit or together, how do civilians uh, create a better environment to help veterans as they're coming back?
0: Well, I don't think there is a veteran-specific solution. Like if it's a veteran-specific solution, you're continuing to wall veterans off from the wider society, which if you do heal veterans, the wider unhealed society is not gonna be a very appealing place. They'll stay isolated. I think the real solution, the long-term solution, is society-wide. Like if we can turn our society into something that's a little bit more communal and connected, a little less vicious in its politics, a little bit more collaborative at the neighborhood level, Um, I think if we can do that, everyone's gonna do a little bit better. I'm guessing suicide and depression will go down, drug abuse will go, I mean, all those things, I think, will go down. Um, and along with that, it will be something that's a little bit more reminiscent for veterans of the community that they just left, which is the community of each other overseas. And so, in the long term, can we help vets? Yeah, we can put a band aid bandage, a bandage on the problem. But I think, really, if you want to really heal this, heal them, heal us, it's the same thing. I think we have to address society's problems. Do we have to fix society first? Well, that's I think that's a big fix. <laughs> Depressing. <laughs> well, it is, except understand that the problems that we're having are because we're human beings and we still want something good, right? I mean, our instincts are good. We're suffering because what we've created is, isn't is healthy for us. So take that suffering as the message that we need to hear. We can do anything we want, right? We can create any society we want. Sebastian, it's been great talking to you. You too. Tribe, it's
1: a great book. Honestly, everyone on our staff read it. We're inspired by it. I gave it to my father-in-law. We rarely share books. We shared this book. Go check out Tribe. It's on Bookstands everywhere. If you like listening to this podcast, you're going to like watching it even more. So go check out Klepper. It's on all of your devices including your television. Go check it out.
2: Thank you for listening. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.